Hey, this is Joseph Thompson. Thanks for listening to the Open Spaces podcast. Why don't you sit back, relax, and join me as we take a journey together into wide open spaces. So this is uh, going to be a a two-part series, and uh, it's something that has been sort of percolating around my head uh, and my heart for a while. And um, I want to talk about life for the Christ follower, because I'm learning that life for the Christ follower is lived in the middle of God's promises. And let me explain what I mean by that. You see, at the beginning of a dream or a vision or something that you believe that God has spoken to your heart and inspired you to do, things are somewhat easy. You see, because at the beginning... That's when you feel like you've heard God so clearly that every objection and obstacle pales to insignificance. You see, in those moments, you're running with horses, and the vision breathes life and energy into you. The end is just as fulfilling as the beginning, if not more so, because the end is the actualization of the dream that you've had and the fulfillment of the promise. But in between the beginning and the end is what I term the messy middle. The messy middle is where we live, and unfortunately, the messy middle is the place where dreams are dashed against the rocks of circumstances and failure and hardship, and pain comes crashing down like the pounding waves, sort of like a superstorm on the Bering Sea buffeting a helpless ship. So what's in the middle, you might be asking? Well, the messy middle is the place where Unforgiveness bristles like a porcupine defending itself against a threatening enemy. The messy middle is the place where there are more questions than answers. Questions like, can God really fix this mess? Can he heal me from this history of sexual abuse? From this raw anger at the father who left my mother? From the searing pain I feel every time I think of the one who treated me like yesterday's trash? The messy middle is the place where the burning desire for revenge lurks just beneath the surface, hiding behind the forced smile and the pretend patience and understanding. Of course, I never do a podcast without referencing Max Lucado because I uh, love his work. I read so many of his books. I've read all his books. And he says about revenge, he says the following, Revenge builds a lonely house, space enough for one person. The lives of its tenants are reduced to one goal. Make someone miserable. And they do. Themselves. No wonder God insists in Hebrews 12 that we keep a sharp out eye, uh, keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. Weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Watch out for the Esau syndrome trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. That's found in Hebrews 12, verses 15 and 16 from the Message Translation. I love that. Because it's reminding us that the only person who becomes miserable when revenge becomes the goal or unforgiveness bristles, the only person that's hurt is me. 
And I love how the message translation says, watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You see, God's healing requires a move out of the house of spite, a shift away from the cramped world of grudge towards the spacious ways of grace. God's healing requires a move away from hardness toward forgiveness. And ultimately, he moves us forward by healing our past, if we let him. But I get it. I get it that all too often, the question that is asked is, can God heal this deep-seated hurt in my heart? This hurt that's threatening to derail all the promises I've held onto for so long. And let me assure you, my friends, if you're asking that question, you're not alone. You see, Joseph of the scriptures asked these questions. Think about it. How do you outlive the memory of 10 brothers conspiring to expire you? And these guys walked away from their dastardly deed and never so much as gave a glance back at the cycle of hurt and pain they'd begun for a few silver coins, 20 silver coins. So when the opportunity presented itself, Joseph gave them a taste of their own medicine. And he saw them in the bread line, caps in hand, begging to purchase food in the midst of a global famine when he was in control of the food. He snapped at them. He accused them of treachery and threw them in jail. Feels really good to know that Joseph was as human as me. Because you see, sometimes when I read about Joseph and his responses, it seemed that he was so good and upright that it hurt. Think about it. I mean, Joseph endured slavery. He succeeded in a foreign land. He mastered a new language, resisted sexual seduction. He was the model prisoner and the perfect counselor to the king. <laughs> In fact, if you scratched Joseph, he probably bled holy blood. We probably expected, if we didn't know the story, that he would see his brothers standing in the line to purchase food and declare, Father, forgive them, for they knew not what they did. But apparently he's not quite Jesus because he didn't do that. He didn't because forgiving mean bullies is one of the hardest things in the pantheon of hard things to do. We'll feed the poor and we'll counsel the king. Heck, we'll even memorize the book of Leviticus if God tells us to ask us to do so. But don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. As Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Really, God? Couldn't you ask something easier of me? And I get it. I've walked this journey personally. You see, about 17 years ago, when my wife and I and our kids made the decision to relocate from beautiful Colorado Springs to sunny Florida and plant the well. We had this gleam in our eyes. This was the beginning. This was uh, when we'd heard God so clearly that uh, someone who was pastor of a church at the time uh, in Colorado Springs offered me 
the opportunity to join him as co-pastor for a pretty hefty salary back then. And it wasn't even a temptation. I knew and had heard so clearly what God was saying that nothing in my path, no obstacle, no objection, nothing could temper what I knew God had called me to do. In addition, we had about 50 people relocate with us from Colorado Springs, many of whom sold homes, picked up their lives, and moved with us to Florida. How could we not succeed? We, we had this vision of this incredibly beautiful church we were going to build that really loved and cared for people and took care of people. I remember raising over $300,000 back 17 years ago towards the launch of this church. But somewhere in the messy middle, things became ugly. And so many of the people who had supposedly heard God to move with us abandoned ship and they began to take off in different directions and they all pointed accusatory fingers at me. Let's not go into the details. 17 years ago, rest assured that I was broken and hurt, and I wept more in that season of my life than I'd ever wept before then. And listen, guys, this is not to point fingers at anyone. Um, There were things that I had to work through and deal with myself, things of my own creation, but the bottom line is, in those moments, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, (laughs) was a foreign language to me. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Much of that was hard to do. As Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Mm. Maybe tomorrow, God. And it was a tough, tough road to walk. The messy middle. So how do we reconcile the pain of false allegations the feelings of betrayal and the loss of trusted relationships with God's command to forgive. Isn't some sort of vengeance in order? Well, the good news is, of course it is. (laughs) The bad news is that God cares about justice more than we do. And according to the scriptures, Paul admonishes us to never pay back evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. You can find that in Romans 12. So yeah, vengeance is in order, but it isn't up to you or I. That's God's business. He has said he will repay those who deserve it. Romans 12, 17 and 19. But all too often our fear is that the one who's caused us so much pain will slip away unseen into the night, unknown and unpunished. As if it's our responsibility to ensure that they receive justice or punishment. But remember, the scripture says, God will repay, not God might repay. Case in point, well, prepare yourself for the most surprising turnaround of the Joseph story. You see, because after three days, Joseph released all but one brother from jail, Simeon. 
They returned to Canaan to report to Jacob, their father, who was at this time a weak shadow of an old man. And when they got home, they told their father how Simeon was kept in Egypt. Now, if you don't remember, Simeon was the one who actually had advocated that instead of killing Joseph, they throw him into a pit and let him rot there. But the Bible says he was planning to come back later and rescue Joseph until Judah had the bright idea that they should sell Joseph and make some money. But interestingly enough, Simeon is the brother who Joseph keeps back in prison. And they explain to their father that the reason Simeon was kept back is as an assurance that they would return with Benjamin because Joseph has requested that they go back home and bring their youngest brother, Benjamin. And Jacob had nothing to say except, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Genesis 42, 36. And we could do a case study on how terrible of a parenting role model Jacob was. I mean, he played favorites. He refused to discipline. He had multiple wives. And upon hearing of the imprisonment of his son, has a pity party. He's a self-absorbed clown, quite frankly. No wonder his family was screwed up. But, but, and this is a big but, as we read further, a light breaks through the storm cloud of pain and hurt. This messy middle seems to be turning around. Judah, the same Judah who once wanted to get rid of Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, steps forward and he declares, send Benjamin with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. This famine is so grave that if we don't get food, we might as well all be dead. But if I go with Benjamin so that we can present him to Joseph and finally be able to get some grain and bring back home, then we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Genesis 43, 8 and 9. Judah. Is this the same Judah? The same man who said, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites in Genesis 37? The same brother who basically helped negotiate the slave trade of Joseph? Well, yes, it is the same Judah. And no. Because Judah, as it turns out, has had his own descent into the pit. May not have been the same pit that Joseph was thrown into, but it was a pit of his own making. 
the messy middle. And next week we'll talk a little bit more about what that pit was and how it shaped Judah into the man he'd become and how that played into the rest of the story. We'll see you next week for the conclusion of this two-part series, The Messy Middle. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us on the Open Spaces podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please like it and share it with your friends. We'd really love to connect with you. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Open Spaces podcast.